You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock, a special Saturday edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hope you're having a great weekend. Hope you enjoy this uh, bonus coverage and content from us. Last, late last week or late this week, uh, you know, I follow Coach Jason Brown on Twitter and I saw he was upset about some content showing a coach that was going off on his basketball team and the coach got fired and JB was defending the coach and calling the players soft. And so I started looking into it and it, it involved a division three uh, basketball program in Texas, the University of Mary Harden Baylor. It's an offshoot of Baylor University. It's a small Christian school. It's division three basketball. They've had some success uh, particularly under coach Mark Moorefield. They, you know, have won their conference. They've appeared in the NCAA Division III tournament, I think on three different occasions. Uh, Mark Moorefield had a record of 159 and 50. Mark, a longtime assistant coach uh, with Scott Drew, and just in the interest of all transparency, I'm a big fan of Scott Drew. We're friends. Uh, I, I've known Scott for a long time. And so this story interested me. I'm a former college football player. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm very straightforward and direct and straightforward, direct, harsh conversation, particularly in the sports world, just doesn't bother me. Mark Moorefield's coaching at a Christian university. He's coaching a women's basketball team. He's coaching in a way that seems familiar to me, and it's, it's part of the iron sharpens iron process of college sports. Yes, it's a little rough and direct, but not. I'm not bothered by it, but I wanna play the clip, and we're gonna hear from Coach Mark Moorefield, and we'll have a little discussion about you know, his behavior and, and what I think should take place. And it will uh, bring TJ Moe on after uh, we talk to Coach uh, Moorefield. TJ, as you guys know, played football at the University of Missouri and the SEC. TJ, long, strong Christian. And so TJ and I have a conversation. But let's first, let's watch the controversial video that ended up costing uh, Mark Moorefield his job.
what that is. That should get you knocked out in the playground. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. All right, so a former uh, UMHB player, I believe her name's Lily, she released this over social media. Media got a hold of it, turned it into a big deal. Mark Moorfield, uh, you know, blew, now this information, that video had already been sent to the administration and school officials at UMHB, and they had taken action and, you know, pushed Mark out of his job. And then Lily, this former player, she gets a hold of it and exposes it to the media. This is why he got fired. Here's an example of what he is and blah, blah, blah. His reputation's been spirit. He's lost his job. Clearly he's acted in a way that uh, many will find inappropriate. I even find it inappropriate, but I find it commonplace in sports. And I, I don't think there's any malicious intent. And, and for me, I come from an era where there's just no way I'm firing a coach that's had the kind of success he's had and had a lot of kids have great experiences uh, playing for him. Look, sports are tough. And, and I've shared with you all the story uh, previously about the thing that made me a tremendous high school football player and made me worthy of a Division I football scholarship was my assistant coach who's turned into a lifelong friend and mentor, Tony Burchett, called me the P word right out in front of everybody when I was a sophomore, and it stuck with me and motivated me and, and drove me through high school and college. Ain't nobody ever again gonna call me the P word. Tony Burchett was my friend all the way through high school. He's my friend to this day. He went on to become superintendent of the school work with him for a number of years. But again, I know I'm from an old era. But anyway, we wanted to bring on Mark Moorfield, hear his side of the story, give him an opportunity to explain himself. Mark, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I, I would have to assume, I, I don't know you well, but I would have to assume that video probably embarrasses you. Yeah, there's no doubt. And first, thanks for having me on, Jason. I really appreciate it. Um, and obviously, it's an out-of-character moment that um, obviously does not define who I am or who I am as a father or husband or um, the type of coach I've been um, in 21 years of coaching college bas basketball. Um, I let the emotions of the situation from previously get to me. Um, obviously, would have chose my words differently um, and probably would have probably tried to emotionally not let what had happened to a player on our team who just had a season in the injury because of a rebounding drill um, try to affect me. And um, obviously, you know, wrong choice of words, um, probably should, obviously should have handled it differently um, and, and probably should have probably stepped back a little bit and not let the emotions drive me um, after what had happened um, to that individual player with um, the season ending uh, injury. Mark, you, you're working for Baylor Christian University and University of Mary Harden Baylor is a very small, I think it's got 38, 3900 students. Christian University again. 
I would, ima- you, I would imagine you're a believer, and as a believer, I, I can't imagine this is the approach you consistently took to coaching. No, there's no doubt. This is not uh, an everyday pattern or an everyday behavior. Uh, we did not coach in a fearful way or trying to intimidate uh, to our players. You know, matter of fact, what we really told our players were, you know, every day we want to, to come in and give 100%. Uh, we want you to be able to come in here and grow as a young basketball player, as a young adult. Uh, we want you to grow in your walk. Um, you know, we've, we've brought different um, different pastors, chaplains. We pray before practice, after practice. We pray before and after games. Uh, matter of fact, over Christmas break, uh, we had talked about, you know, if, if, if you're having, you know, as a young adult, um, the path you're taking with your walk with the Lord and things of that nature. And so this is definitely not, you know, a program that uh, coached out, out of fear um, and intimidation. Um, you know, we, we did want our girls to come in. We wanted them to give maximum effort. We want them to come in and practice hard and leave it all on the floor. And we want them to play at a high level. And, um, you know, that was expected of them. Um, and, and so they knew that. They knew that, you know, what the level they wanted to perform and what we needed and what the recipe was for us to have success and to be able to, um, for those that wanted to, you know, get on the floor and earn minutes. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mark, have you had an opportunity, you know, earlier this week, you, you stepped aside, resigned, have you had an, did you, were you provided an opportunity to apologize, make amends to your team, have any type of follow-up conversation with the team? Um, no. One of the things um, when at the University of Mary Hart and Baylor, they don't allow you or afford you that opportunity to talk to your team or go back or anything like that. But that was, this, practice, this particular practice clip is from November 10th and um, actually was addressed the next day as, uh, as the head coach with the team. Um, the next day we were in the locker room discussing it. Um, I apologized to the team um, that I let the situation get the best of me. Um, obviously used words that I would not use again um, that, and we don't use on a daily basis um, in our program. And so um, actually we did have a good conversation and a good talk the next day on November 11th after the effect and um, again, just shared with the team that, you know, I apologized. Um, I was out of character and that they, you know, obviously using words that we don't use on a daily basis. And um, we moved on from there. And, um, you know, the players accepted it, um, accepted the apology. And um, we went out and practiced and prepared for the season. Oh, wow. So this happened in November and and. I, I give me this context that I think you're alluding to about someone got injured and that's what sets you off. What's the context? What triggered you? 
Yeah, so we were coming towards into practice, and one of the things that we do, it's a very common rebounding drill. Um, it, it's a it's a four-on-four, five-on-five variation drill, and it's a rebounding drill. So you put X amount of minutes on the fl- on the clock, and what you're doing is you got to get three consecutive rebounds in a row. Um, so it's kind of emphasizing, you know, not giving up offensive rebounds, um, working on obviously defensive rebounding, stuff of that nature. This one particular team was struggling in the drill. Um, they would maybe get to – defensive rebounds and then give up an offensive rebound so if you don't if you give up one you go right back to zero so this particular team that was in there was struggling with the drill we're coming towards the end of the time in the drill so the drill calls for once the time goes off whatever team is still on there in the defensive side will run like four lines six lines there's always a there there's always a in any drill that we do competitively there's always going to be um lines ran particularly for that drill. Um, and so we're coming towards the end. Um, shot goes up. Um, it's a loose rebound. Ball's not really a basketball play. So there's some frustration setting on the team that's there. Um, they're about to have to run, um, you know, and not, not in a facetious way. Player goes after a loose rebound. Really probably wasn't going to get it because um, it was kind of out of her reach, so to speak. So she goes diving for it rolls up under one of the other players, causing that player to go forward in an awkward position. Um, that player goes down. She's on the ground. Her knee, she, she's coached, you know, something's wrong, something's wrong. Uh, we go get the trainer, come on out. Um, you know, she's like, coach, I think it's my ACL. I think it's my ACL, um, you know, and, and obviously doing a quick kind of, observation, um, evaluation from the trainer. Um, you know, everyone thinks everyone's pointing towards it's the ACL. What bothered me about it was we let our frustrations in a drill drive us to a point where we weren't making basketball plays. We were making frustration plays. And what even drove it even more wasn't so much that, because that's a teachable moment. This individual for this, she's a junior um, for two years as a freshman, came in, played a little bit. Um, sophomore year, kind of played the same amount as a freshman, uh, not a ton, but really dedicated herself this summer to becoming a better basketball player, dedicated herself this fall. And the work and the dedication that she put in, um, and it had paid off for her. That light, that, that switch had kind of come on where, you know, she was floating before she was either going to be our starting center or our backup center. And so now you see this young lady whose career now is done for the season ending surgery. You know, you never know how they're going to come back. Are they going to come back and play? Are they going to, you know, are they going to, this is it. And I hurt for her because of all the work that she put in, the dedication that she put in. And here we are because of a frustration play in a rebounding drill, her season's done. And so I felt for her. I was angry for her and upset for her. And she's the greatest individual and the greatest human being on the team. And, but you know, I let my frustration and my anger drive me because of that situation. And not, not that so much I was mad. I was mad for her because I know what she did. I know what she invested. I know what she did to become a better basketball player. And here it is. It's all paid off. And now it's gone. And, you know, players get injured all the time, as you know, Jason, we've had girls tear their ACL, things of that. It's part of sports. But when it's part of a game where 
it's a frustration play that leads to an injury that bothered me, um, especially when the ball wasn't really in the area for the player who was diving to get it. And it was all based on just a level of frustration. And that that's what angered me and, and really bothered me. Um, here's this player now whose season is taken away from her and all that she's invested into her to becoming a better basketball player. So you worked for quite a while with Scott Drew, Homer Drew, but Scott Drew in, in, at, at Baylor. And I'm wondering if coaching boys and the aggressiveness you can show when coaching boys or young men, do, do you temper that when you're coaching women? Is there an adjustment that a coach has to make mentally? Yeah, I think, you know, it's not a huge adjustment, but I think the one thing about even coaching under Homer Drew and Scott Drew, what you're seeing, that that wasn't even a daily basis. There there wasn't that. It was more of a teaching aspect, more of an approach where you're going and teaching and, and trying to explain and teach, whether it's through, you know, individual instruction, whether it's through film. It, it wasn't, you know, a way of, you know, letting your anger control everything and things of that nature. And so... Um, you know, guys and girls are different. The approach is a, is a little bit different. Um, but I think when the day's over, the sense of having accountability, doing the right things, coming in and working hard, um, doesn't matter if it's guys or girls. Um, you know, those, those, that level of expectation kind of maintains the same, whether it's boys or guys and girls, um, women's basketball, men's basketball. Um, so that really is what drove because that's kind of the same approach we had when I was at Baylor and Valpo was come in every day, give 100 percent, you know, be open minded, learn, execute and, and be accountable. And so, um, you know, that that carried over um, in our approach, even going from the men's game to the women's game. So, um, you know, I, I think the language that we use in teaching and how we approach the girls and, and things of that nature it really wasn't any different because it, it felt like it was a, a, an opportunity and how we did on the men's side it is something that can fluctuate and be able to be used on both men's and women's basketball because those qualities doesn't matter if you're a men's player or girls or a women's player. It all falls under the same accountability, working hard, be coachable, um, and come in and do the best that you can on a daily basis. Finally, you talk about a teachable moment, learning moment for kids. What do you think you've learned from this situation about yourself and how you should move forward? I think the biggest thing is, is obviously my passion and my passion for my players and things of that nature. Probably, you know, next time, um, you know, and hopefully there won't be a next time in this situation. Because I think the learning point is, is that you have to temper your emotions in an emotional situation, um, whether that's stepping back for a couple of seconds before addressing the team. Um, maybe perhaps just saying, OK, practice is over today. We're just done. Um, you know, just to kind of collect your thoughts and, and not be so emotionally driven um, in, in, in a situation where, you know that individual, what she's emotionally invested and physically invested in. Um, and I think that's the passion for our players. You know, each and one of those girls I love as a daughter. Um, I want the best for them. Um, I want them to have successful careers on and off the floor. And, and that's what we try to do. We try to build 
a sense of accountability and a firm foundation and leadership. And so for me, um, you know, it, it's it's a teachable moment in the fact of stepping back, letting the situation kind of dissolve before addressing and, and taking that step back and taking a taking a breath before approaching the team um, and, and clearing my mind and my thought process so that I can address the team appropriately. Mark, thank you so much for the time. Wish you uh, success moving forward. Uh, perhaps I'll call you at some point and tell you about all that I taught Scott Drew about uh, gambling <laughs> at a craps table. Uh, I've I schooled him well. Uh, <laughs> he needs all the help he can, Jason, so to. keep teaching him. Thank you very much. <laughs> Will do. Uh, yep, thank you. All right, stay tuned. We're going to get TJ Moe's take. He's going to help me unpack uh, what happened with Mark Morfield and the women's basketball team from a biblical Christian perspective uh, about what we think he's working for a Christian school, what we think about that incident and did University of Mary Harden Baylor, did they handle it properly? Uh, we'll do that all and more with TJ Moe next. Atheists, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men we know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech. You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, 
if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out St. Louis, bring in T.J. Moe. Wanted to talk with T.J. Moe about what went on with Mark Moorfield and the women's basketball team at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, small Christian university in the state of Texas. You saw the video. Wanted to analyze this from a biblical perspective and just a Christian athlete perspective. No one better to do that with than T.J. Moe. And I wanted to do it because these types of conversations that we're having right now today and on the show on a consistent basis are a big part of why we're doing the Fearless Army Roll Call. We want to help men, because I could see myself, if I were a coach, a younger coach, I could see myself making the exact same mistake as Mark Moorfield. And, and I need, and we all need to be in conversation with each other as believers trying to walk us through and educate ourselves on, hey man, what about our Christian responsibilities and how can we carry out those Christian responsibilities at all times, even when you're frustrated in a coaching situation. And so again, that's the idea and the concept behind this roll call event about those of us men that are believers, we gotta come out of the closet, quit being ashamed of our Christian faith so that we can have conversations and strengthen and educate and improve each other through fellowship and engagement and encouragement and being able to have conversations about what does it mean to be a Christian man. And so this conversation as it relates to Mark Morfield, perfect because he was representing a Christian university and, and carried himself, behaved in a way that was, I believe, biblically unsound and put it in this environment rather than being granted any grace and mercy and an evaluation of his total behavior. In this environment, and we as Christians, we have no margin for error. We get eliminated for 
any and all mistakes. This society doesn't believe in grace and mercy. And so, uh, TJ, want to bring you in and just get your reaction to the video and what you saw and whether you think the university overreacted here and what you thought of what Mark Moorfield had to say. I liked what Mark had to say. I thought there was a good interview. Um, it's very hard without knowing his his resume, and I don't mean his resume of wins and losses. I mean his resume of how he treated people. Is there a list of complaints at his last stops? Does Are there issues like this? Have there been things on the resume? So if there's nothing, if he has a clean resume of behavior, then yes, I think they overreacted. If this is something where they took a chance on this guy and then this was another thing, and they said, okay, this, this is pretty normal behavior for you, it's time to let you go, then it may not be. So it's hard to make that judgment without a full picture. What I did like is he he quoted kind of my favorite scripture and that he said, I should have just taken a step back, maybe just said, hey, practice is over. We'll talk about this later. That's James 119. And so the reason I like James 119 is because this is what I always struggle with growing up and still do to this day. It is it is James giving us instruction on how we are to conduct ourselves. It's the most practical book in the Bible. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And so that is that is exactly it. I should have just taken a breath. Anytime, some another way of saying this is, hey, go sleep on it. You're angry, go sleep on it. You'll wake up and you'll feel better and you'll have a more clear mind. And so biblically, whenever you're just losing it like that, there's obviously God has told us what to do in those situations to allow us to conduct ourselves in a more righteous way. Um, but it also, like that moment now, based on what you just said, and it's true, sticks with him. He's known as the guy that blew up on a group of 20-year-old women. And, and that's very frustrating, and it's hard, and it's a high standard for men who, who don't get to make those mistakes. And this is, this is a great verse. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And so it doesn't say a city with no walls. It says a city whose walls have been broken through, meaning the enemy is already inside. So the enemy is now within you. Your walls are down, been broken through. There are not just more people potentially coming, but the enemy is constantly under attack, and that's your own flesh, right? And so if you don't have self-control, that is so easy to come out because you're not actually in control of yourself. The enemy is within you, and now you don't have any say-so in the matter. And, it, and it's such an instructive verse because for us as Christians, and this is true for anyone. I mean, it's just a good life lesson, but for us as Christians— how we conduct ourselves is only a reflection of us. That is it, not anybody else. And I, this, this is a realization. I think right when I turned 30, it hit me because I used to think, man, they deserved it. They got what's coming to them. I'm like, but how I acted doesn't have anything to do with them. It only has to do with me. And I've got to live with that because those people will be out of my life at some point, And that is still on my resume. So that group of 20 year old girls are all going to grow up and get married and get jobs and have kids and families. And they have nothing to do with you. But you now having conducted yourself that way are stuck with that on your resume. And so, you know, one, one guy, I don't like making this comparison now because it was so different and crazy than what Mark did, but Woody Hayes, 
He now, as a guy, he had a 30-year resume as a head coach. He was unbelievable. And then he threw a punch at a player and had to resign the next day, never coach another second. And that's, that's it. That's it for his resume. And that, it didn't matter what happened earlier. It didn't matter if he was in a fight with his wife. It didn't matter um, what the health issues, none of that mattered. All anybody knows is Woody Hayes walked up to a Clemson player and punched him in the neck after an interception. And that's it. And that's on Woody Hayes' resume as a man who could not control his emotions in the moment. And so for us as Christians, the way that God talks to us and about us is for our own protection. And it is knowing that we have to be a, a light in a dark world. And so we treat people with respect because that's who we are, not because they deserve respect. And we keep our word because that's what God tells us to do, not because somebody else has lied to us and, well, they're not worthy of telling the truth to. We restrain our emotions because that's who we are, and we are protecting ourselves and our witness as believers, not because somebody else didn't do something that could elicit another reaction. And so for me and as a Christian, I just, it's all there in the Bible. I got, I got, you know, I've, I've been there. I've lost my temper, just like Mark did. I'm sure if you took a tape of my worst moments, it's far worse than what we just saw. So I'm, I'm not picking this with him. It's just for us as Christians, this is a battle we have to fight because we, this is a Christian school. This is the example. We should be setting the example. And I'm sure he's not proud of this moment. So people now get to say, look how Christians conduct themselves. And even worse, look how Christians treat 20-year-old women, right? And so not a bad guy. If it were an isolated incident, certainly would not have fired him. But I'm sure he's not proud of that moment. And if he could go back, I'm sure he would choose some different words and react differently. Thing I like best that he said was that he apologized the next day in November. This is a practice that he can name. Oh, I know this happened on November 10th and blah, blah, blah. And he remembers it and he remembers that obviously that he had to apologize the next day. And so he, he's doing that without any media pressure. Maybe you could argue he's trying to get out in front and make sure that no one talks about it or whatever. But he apologized the next day. I like that. I'll defend even the Lily woman on social media, who's a former player, not on this year's team. I'm going to defend her slightly. I, I don't like her. The school had already taken action and removed him as the coach. She put this video out there, someone gave it to her and put it out there because they wanted everybody to know this is why he's really stepping down. And you know, as a journalist, I understand people wanting that information. I'm not mad about that information, but I don't like her putting that information out there. The school had already taken action. He'd lost his job, fine. Here's where I will defend her and any other kid or parent that had a problem with this behavior. Because I think when you sign up to go play Division III basketball at a Christian university, you have a right to have some sort of expectations that I'm never going to see Bobby Knight here. <laughs> basically, is like, I want, I'm going to a small Division III Christian university. Bobby Knight's not our coach. And, and that's not me taking a shot at Bobby Knight. Th th that's me saying that coach is going to be stern, but there's certain lines he's not going to cross. Again, mm -hmm. I like the fact that Mark Morfield said, I crossed those lines and I apologize for it the next day. So he's even aware of that. But I do think 
Lily, other kids, parents have a reasonable right to have an expectation. Hey, my daughter's playing at a Christian university. You know, I, I don't expect the coach to throw rose petals at her feet, but I also don't expect him to go on a 90 second, two minute rant cursing her out either. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And I'm not, look, I, I was in New England for a year. Bill Belichick used the F word as a filler word. It's just when he didn't know what else to say, he just said the F word. So it's, it's not that I uh, am, am unaccustomed to people swearing, but, um, you know, the time and time and place certainly and moment. And he, this was such a clear, you lost your temper moment. This was not like a, all right, I'm going to set them straight. This is going to be productive. And now we're going to all learn a lesson about how this is, how we can conduct ourselves moving forward. So this doesn't happen again. He called them all frauds, right? He he just lost his temper. And again, not upset with the guy. He just lost his temper. It was clear. I, my hope is that this is not who he is, right? And not, not the type of conduct that you see. I, when I was getting recruited, Ron Prince at Kansas state actually conducted himself like this during spring practice with recruits in attendance. I was one of them. And my dad and I got up and left. We're like, we would never, I, you, I would rather pay my way through college than play for this man. So there are some people that do this. Um, I doubt he's one of them. And you know, he seemed like a graceful person coming on and talking to you. He seemed honest. He seemed humble and capable of self-evaluation, which is normally how you turn away from this. But he, even at big time division one, Coach Pinkle at, at Mizzou rarely said a swear word. I heard him say the F word maybe three, four times, um, maybe all at once when we were getting beat by Texas 35 to seven at halftime. And uh, he threw a trash can across the locker room. And so it, it does happen on occasion. But what he always said is, I'm going to treat you with, with respect. And I, I expect you to return that respect to me. And so I am I'm extending that to you and expect it back. So when I get upset with you for crossing that line, understand why. I'm in, I'm, I'm giving you that respect first. And so that that's the hard, you know, particularly with with players now, there used to be such a, a a better respect factor between adults and children or players where you could get away with a lot more stuff. Bobby Knight walking in college today would really struggle, really, really struggle. And this is coming from a guy. I was an IU fan growing up, adored Bobby Knight. Couldn't have loved him any more than I did. I actually would enjoy playing for him. I, I, I would. Uh, but most people today, I think, would hate that. And so Belichick's got a little bit of that. He's not grabbing players by the neck. He's not throwing chairs across, but he is very an authoritative figure. I think we should have a little more of that. We're losing it. And so when you try to go in sometimes with that approach, with the way kids have been raised today, that they can talk right back to their mother without getting slapped, well, you're going to run into trouble. And that's partially why these guys get fired when these tapes come out. So you've said a couple of interesting things. You would love to have played for Bobby Knight. Mm-hmm. You saw Ron Prince behave like Bobby Knight and left Kansas State's football practice. Uh, square those two thoughts. or And, and, and I say that because I, I covered Ron Prince and knew him well and have stayed in touch with him over the, it's been a few years since I've talked to him. But, uh, and and I, he certainly had some problems and, and had a big problem trying to replace Bill Snyder. But square those two thoughts. You saw Ron Prince act like Bobby Knight and left. 
and but you would have loved to have played for Bobby Knight. Uh, he didn't act like Bobby Knight. No, at least the Bobby Knight that I saw. So Bobby Knight, it's not that he didn't have a mouth on him. He was a teacher, though. Bobby Knight walked out there and his – I mean, look, he was one of the best coaches to ever exist. Ron Prince made I it a couple it. Of years. Yeah, well, that's part of it, right? If you're an actual, if you're a teacher at heart, Bill Belichick is really, really hard on these players, and yet he's probably the greatest teacher in the NFL today. So that's if you actually have a teacher's heart and you're you're willing to help people, and that that's actually your stated goal, and you you are an authority figure. I'm not saying that I again, I'm not saying that I want to see a guy throw a chair across the room. Although I did like his response. He went on late night television at the uh, after that at some point. He said he saw a lady across the court that didn't have anywhere to sit and figured she might need a seat. So I liked the humor. I did like that. He was able to go about things. He also like wasn't the just success. If Ron no, Prince, not, if Ron nah. Prince had two national championships, and you went to the practice and he snapped like that, you said that's why he's got two national championships. He's nuts. No, he, he's great. I don't agree. I I think uh, I think he he didn't snap. When I saw Ron Prince, this is just who he was. It wasn't just get angry and lose it for a moment and then go back to who he was. He was running around screaming the F word for two, three hours. He was, it's just who he was, right? There was, he wasn't teaching people. He was just yelling at people. He'd go run, at a, run over to the lineman and yell at him for five minutes about who knows what. And then he'd go to the running backs and he'd yell at this guy for a while. Then he'd go over to the corners and yell at these guys for a while. And we're not tough enough. We're not good enough. We're not doing it. It's like, you know, and, and at that time, if you remember, um, and maybe deservedly so. These were all junior college guys. It, Ron Prince tried yep. to keep his job by bringing in all junior college guys. So it was a roster full of junior college guys. Maybe they deserved to get yelled at, but I was not interested in being in that. Whereas Bobby Knight took a bunch of young kids and lived and breathed basketball. And keep in mind, I was born in 1990. They had a perfect season before I was even born. And so by the time I was aware of who Bobby Knight was, he was all already a legend. So success is something, but I also never saw Bobby Knight that this is before the success same news. Success is the greatest deodorant. Sure it is, but also had I gone, let, let me say it this way. If I would have gone to an, an IU practice when Bobby Knight was there and saw the conduct I saw out of Ron Prince, I wouldn't have wanted to play for him either. So let me tell a story and I'm 90% sure this is true because it's, I grew up in Indiana and, and I, I never had a big problem with Bob Knight. I was a Purdue fan and Gene Cady fan more than I was a Bob Knight fan. But and my first job was in Bloomington, Indiana. I know Bob Knight. I, his, his best friend, Bob Hamill, gave me my first job. I have respect for Bob Knight and all that he accomplished. But these are the type of stories you would grow up hearing in Indianapolis. There was a kid that went to a rival high school of mine, Sassina High School, named Mike LaFave. I think Mike was on maybe the 81 national championship team. And so Mike's older than me or whatever, but, but the story floated back around our, our area that they played poorly against somebody in the Big Ten. They get home, Bob Knight takes them immediately to the gym, pulls his pants down at center court, takes a dump and says, that's what you guys played like. You ever do it again, blah, blah, blah. And then, then he conducted a practice. That's Bobby Knight. That, that's, and again, I don't, I don't, I grew up in a time where, you know, having a 
Marine drill sergeant head coach, was it perfectly acceptable? And it, that kind of fire made diamonds. And that's what Bobby Knight did. He made diamonds with that kind of fire. But anyway, I, now I'm often distracted. I want to end <laughs> on this note, TJ, because I, I packaged this whole story and conversation around why we're doing roll call and why we're trying to inspire men to get in conversations about you know, our behavior as Christians and just uh, how we can motivate each other and promote the kind of conversations that will prevent us from making the kind of mistake that Mark Moorfield, uh, yeah, Mark Moorfield just made. And, and so that's why I'm just so looking forward to the, the conversations and the speeches and just you're going to talk about men never quitting and just it, it, I just this roll call event and events we're going to plan in conjunction and following that I just think can be important for young men because I don't think we're getting a lot of instruction from the culture on how we should behave as believers in this modern culture. No question. I, you and I have talked now for a year about what, where I think pastors have failed us, and that is taking young men and, and making, um, making the Bible practical. That's why I love the book of James so much. It's like, hey, here's how you conduct yourself. Here's the right things to do. It's a very, very practical book. And so for us, we're, we're trying to fill that gap a bit. And I think, you know, one thing that, that is hard about doing a show like this is we may have an audience of, who knows, 100,000 people may watch this, and we didn't get to meet any of them. And so what I am excited for is who knows how many people are going to be there, you know, five, 600,000. A lot of people we get to go see and meet and shake their hand. And so these people, I remember having that when I was a kid, and those people, I, I continue to follow them throughout my life. They were good examples. Isaac Bruce is a guy. I went to his camp when I was growing up. And my dad was like, all right, I, we've identified that guy. That's a good man. If you want to try to be like someone, be like Isaac Bruce. We were actually, we had a great crew in St. Louis. Kurt Warner was another of those guys. Very committed Christians. So you're trying as a kid to emulate someone. You go meet them. And then it didn't matter if Isaac Bruce was the best receiver in the league or the 35th best receiver in the league. I got to meet him, take a picture with him and shake his hand. And so then I wanted to be like him. And I got to see him talk about, you know, his Christian walk and his faith. Kurt Warner did the same thing. I, I got to meet these people and then what they said mattered far more to me. So I think for us, that's as important as anything. I want to actually go out there. We, we talk about affecting the culture and, and to do that, you have to be in, in it, inside of it. And so we, we're bringing the people to us in Nashville to not just send a message, but to meet and see them and, you know, hopefully give them something to take back to where they came from. We've already had a lot of people sign up from California to Pennsylvania to Florida, and they can take it back to where they came from and, and have the impact we all need to have. All right, go to Fearless Army, rollcall.com. Want to see you here in April. Uh, thank you, TJ. I hear tomorrow. That means we'll see you on Monday. I want freedom. Negotiation, my sister, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on a corner, never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all receiving We all wanna be free We want freedom